0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Winning the Love War. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now... Here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon.
1: Amen. Jesus walked on the troubled sea. Sometimes Jesus calms the sea, sometimes he calms us. This has been a week he has to calm us. Right? Uh, It's so outstanding to see all of you here uh, in person today. And I'm also grateful for those of us who are joining us online. Welcome to the meeting of the family of God. I want to talk to you today about winning the love war. It's the only war I plan to sign up for. As your pastor, let me say a word about the complicated times that we live in. These are without a doubt, um, at least in my mind, I think you would all agree, the most difficult times that we have ever seen as, a church, as the Church of Jesus Christ, as society. Never quite seen anything like the like the last 90 days have been. Uh, I think 2020 is a, day, a year we're going to kind of just skip in our memory. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to get nostalgic about 2020. Uh, I want to say some things, you know, the dark forces aren't giving us a break. And so I'm going to say some things today from my heart as your pastor in light of the recent deaths of George Floyd, Amin Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, and also the subsequent um, uh, conversation about racism. Everything I'm going to say is for you. It's not uh, aimed at anyone outside of here. It's not aimed at the protesters or Maybe it's the same people. Maybe some of you are protesters as well. But it's not aimed at that category of people or rioters or uh, anyone but us. This is for the family of God. So I want to say a few things. I want to say four things. And that will meld into my message this morning. Number one, black lives matter. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Malachi chapter two, verse ten says, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Some will quickly respond, All lives matter, or blue lives matter. True, true, that's true. But when one of my children is upset I will hyperfocus on that child that day or that time when Jay was about 12 he went through a real rebellious time and I took him whitewater rafting so it's so it's okay you don't have to say all lives matter you don't have to say blue lives matter though they do of course number two Because we share the same Heavenly Father, we condemn disrespect, discrimination, racism, and the exaltation of one part of the family of God over another. Racism is basically elevating your group as being God's favored and putting down another group as not being God's favored. In fact, it's very interesting that when Jesus came to earth and when the Shirley Church was started, racism, um, sexism, classism were deeply ingrained in three, all three cultures that Jesus and the early apostles preached the gospel to. Jewish culture, Hypernationalist culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, all treated certain groups of people as though they were designed to be subservient to the other groups. So those things were very prevalent in Jesus' day, and the church was born in an environment that was deeply, deeply bigoted. That's why Simon Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter, who, by the way, was a hardcore racist, loved Jesus with all his heart, and he was a hardcore racist. He began to speak. I realize now, I now realize how true it is. Now, imagine this is a revelation. I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Number three, these times call for us to listen, learn, and lead. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says it's stupid and embarrassing to give an answer before you listen. So, if an African American person or a person of color... uh, is wounded by the way I speak, or the way I act, or the way I'm carrying myself. Um, I want to listen. And unless that way I'm speaking is biblical, and I can give you chapter and verse for it, and it's of God, I want to be willing to change. If we can influence legislation to produce more equality of opportunity, We should do that. Number four, we believe that we must all stand individually before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our thoughts, words, and actions. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Group identity has its place. Group identity has its virtue. Group identity has its utility. But at the end of the journey, we will not stand before God as a group. We will stand before God as an individual and give account for Our words, thoughts, and actions. That's what the Bible teaches. And also, another way to apply this idea of individuality is that every person has a story. Every person has hopes and dreams that are not about the color of their skin. So when you walk into a room, remember the biblical call in your life is to see everyone in proximity to you as your neighbor. And so, the courteous thing you need to do is try to learn their story. Let them declare to you who they are. One's skin does not declare their sin or their righteousness. Let them declare to you and reveal to you, disclose to you, ask them, invite them, to disclose to you, the person they are. Treat them like an individual, uh, an individual who is made in the image of God. Listen to the words. Uh, w- well, I I, to, I don't want to leave this out. This is really important. And uh, what I, everything I just said was really what I believe Dr. King meant in 1963 when he made that iconic statement. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I want you to listen, and I want to open this message up today by quoting a response from Tony Dungy, a wonderful African-American Hall of Fame football coach and uh, follower of Christ. He said this this week. <clears throat> he said, America is in a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the people we are supposed, the people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We've seen people protest this death by destroying the property and dreams of people in our community, the very people they, they are, are protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush, We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable, and it should never happen. Justice needs to be served. By the way, these comments, are comments he was making to the culture, they don't apply so much for you today. It's really the end of his comments that I really want you to hear as a congregation today, and that's what we'll talk about but let me read it anyway. Justice needs to be served, but in seeking justice, we can't fall in the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as a peaceful protest have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen. Yes, there should be protests, but we do not have license to perform criminal acts because we're angry. Today, we are a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically, and Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, then, what is the answer? I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to serve, claim to follow. Jesus Christ. We can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we can't go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive, but we do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't be just the African-American church. It has to be all churches taking a stand and saying, we're going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love. We have to recognize that we're not fighting against other people. We are fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. In the words of Apostle Paul, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to read the rest of that passage and I want to base the rest of my thoughts today that I want to share with you on that passage of scripture. Romans chapter 12, let me read, let's read the entirety of that section of Romans. Romans is a book, a chapter, Romans chapter 12. First of all, the context is a situation where we're going to use the word enemy in a minute and it Uh, It's not just like you, if uh, your neighbor's dog comes over and poops on your grass, that's your enemy, yeah, right, or, uh, uh, you know, something like that. But uh, these were, the the enemies of Paul in the early church had were the ones who would take your property away from you, throw you in jail, and cut your head off. So it's a little different than what most of you have as antagonists in your life. So think of that also think of the fact that Romans 12 is a chapter that tells Christians how to be Christians and how to live in how to live toward one another and the world. And I call it the love war. Romans 17 or 12 verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. But very very uh, that's a very interesting statement right there. Be careful to do what is right In the eyes of everyone, Uh, you ever hear anybody say, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's a dumb statement. If you're a believer and you're a Christian, you care what people think. And you live with a balance of what God thinks, which always has the last word, and what people think. When those two disagree, you always go with God. God. Always the Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Remember, man looks on the outward appearance. <laughs> so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If it's possible, for us depend on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about number one. Let's talk about the meaning of of overcoming evil. Now, overcoming evil does not mean that you do not use force to protect yourselves from evil at times. It does not mean that you don't lock your doors. It doesn't mean that if someone breaks into your home, you don't call the police. It doesn't mean that you don't set a boundary with some people to stop them from hurting you. That's not what it means. It does not mean lay down and be a doormat before people and let them run over you or your family. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that... uh, It means we realize the inadequacy of force to change the human heart. We realize the inadequacy of it. Those measures that we take to protect ourselves at times, to protect our families, to protect our possessions that God has made us a steward of is absolutely necessary. But be realistic that you're not ridding the world of evil. You're not overcoming evil. You're protecting yourselves from it. So, it, it, you know, uh, no security company ever advertised we make bad people good. Uh, n- no gun manufacturer ever claimed we change sinners into saints. Uh, no martial arts course ever said we we convert people from being sinners. No bombing raid ever left the population that survived uh, being more holy, righteous people. They're usually angry people and evil foments in those those, uh, situations. Prisons take evil people off the street, but very rarely return to us a righteous person unless they happen to meet Jesus while they're in there. You finally call me an ugly enough name, slammed the door hard enough, got in my face enough and screamed at me loud enough that now I want to have a relationship with you, was never said. Ever have an argument with your spouse? ever, Ever raise your voice? You know, somebody says, I've been married 30 years, we never raised our voice. I, I bet nothing else very exciting ever happened either. <laughs> when you have passion, it flows both ways. Sometimes you raise your voice, but never, it never works. <laughs> it never produces peace. It, it never makes the other person go, now that you yelled at me really loud, now I feel love for you. <laughs> It means also that we don't... Or Here's what it really means. Here's the essence of it. It means we don't let anyone reduce us to revenge and retaliation. We don't let anyone else's evil make us evil. Psalms 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. John Piper said, Don't let your enemy's hostility produce hostility in you. But let your love triumph over his hostility. Don't be overcome by evil means don't be overcome by his evil. Don't let another person's evil make you evil. That's the message. It means our motives, our motive is to show the world around us that we are surrendered to Christ. We want to show the world around us that we're surrendered to Christ. We're not behaving the way we behave to get them to surrender to us. But we want to show them and demonstrate to them by our kindness, by our radical kindness, by our radical benevolence, our radical charity, our radical forgiveness, that we are surrendered to a higher power. And we do this to pique their curiosity so they will want to know who it is. That's what salt means. We're the salt of the earth. You know, they say you can take a a, a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, but you can put salt in their oats. And when you are radically kind, irrationally forgiving, unbelievably charitable, unnaturally uh, loving, It's putting salt in their oats. It's designed not so you can dominate them. Not so I'm going to kill them with kindness. No. It's not so you can kill them with kindness. It's not so you can find a sneaky way to psychologically disarm them and dominate them. But it's so you can make them hungry and thirsty for Christ. The Bible says it this way. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way... He causes their enemies to make peace with them. So let's get to the meaning of good. The meaning of good. You know, there's two strange things about being good. It's, It's usually easier than being bad. It's usually less trouble. People go to a lot of work to be bad. You know, they stay out really, really late, and they're really exhausted the next day, and they make themselves sick trying to be bad. When, when you could just kind of be quiet and let your spouse go on and on, just save your energy, you know, just be quiet and let them go on about something that you don't agree with, and say, yes, dear, yeah, oh, I, I'm listening. That would be easier, wouldn't it? Instead, you have a big stinking fight, and you ruin your whole day. Because here's the second thing. The first thing about being good is it's usually easier than being bad. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So it's usually easier to be good than to be bad. But you know what it's hard? It's hard to want to be good. That's what's hard. It's hard to want to be kind. It's hard to want to not retaliate. It's hard not to want to yell back. It's it's not logical. It's not logical. It's not because you think it's going to work. It's just, your want to doesn't want to. You can't even explain it, but your just want to doesn't want to, right? It just, <laughs> your want to doesn't want to. That's what Christianity is when you start giving your want to to Jesus. And you say, I, I, the Garden of Gethsemane is a beautiful picture of this. Jesus didn't lose his want to, to do his own thing. Because he said, not my will... He didn't receive a spiritual lobotomy. He still had a will. And his will, now get this. Jesus Christ, his will was opposed to the will of God. He did not want to do what God wanted him to do. Because what God wanted him to do involved suffering. And what he he wanted to do would involve ruling. But he wept. And, and he sweat as his sweat became as great drops of blood, the Bible says. And he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. That's what's got to happen to me. That's the surgery that I must go through to have radical kindness. You know, I asked, I had a neighbor one time who was a bouncer in a bar. And uh, I said to him one day, I want to ask you a theological question you see humanity every night at its worst. Do you think man is basically good or basically bad? And he gave me the most brilliant answer. No theologian, none of those theologians you listen to on YouTube, Megan, could have given me a better answer than this guy gave me. He said, man is basically weak. I said, that's it. That is the answer. We're not basically good, basically bad. We're basically weak. There are forces that you've got a bully inside your brain. Every one of you has a bully inside your brain that tries to dominate you. An imposter that sometimes you think is you, but it's not you. It's not the, it's not the image of God you that God created. It's an imposter, a bully in your brain that tries to boss you around and make you become a person and distort your humanity so you're not the beautiful person that God created you to be. you got to challenge that bully in your brain. So let's, let's unpack this good a little bit. First of all, good requires contrast. In, in a sense, we need evil... To be good, because the only way to show good in this world is for there to be evil. If there were no evil in this world, goodness would not be noticed, would not be on display. Would it would not have a, it would not have a grounds of expression. I, years ago, through a series of circumstances, with a buddy of mine, we actually started preaching together. When he, I was 16, he was 18 or 19, he had a car and I had contacts. And so we went off, we took off cross-country preaching at these little churches, and some medium-sized churches. Uh, can't imagine doing that ever again at 16, 17 years old. But uh, Keith, long story, long story short, he left Bible college and joined the Army and God wouldn't let him go, and his, his commanding officer brings him in one day, puts him under a big light like he's interrogating him, and he said, Keith, I'm being transferred, and I'm making you the pastor of the church. The commander had started a little fellowship of Christians that met in the chapel, and he, he ordered Keith to become the pastor, <laughs> and walks out of the room, Keith's now a pastor of a church in Berlin, and he invites me over to preach for him a long time ago. And I uh, get over there, and he, he tells me, he said, Phil, last Sunday the most remarkable thing happened. He said, I, he said, I got a guy in this church, his, his wife cheated on him with a friend. And I got up a couple of weeks ago, and I said, I want you to bring to church the person that you most want to come to Jesus Christ. And he said, I couldn't believe my eyes. I looked out there and this guy brought The man to church that his wife had cheated with and sat right next to him in church. And when the invitation was given, he takes him by the arm and brings him down front and kneels and prays with him to receive Jesus. The adultery that happened created the possibility of the kindness, of the forgiveness. But, but, but good is not just kind, good is also strong. It took strength for him to do that. It took, it took strength. I can't, I can't even imagine that phone call. <laughs> I can't even imagine that conversation. And it also was strengthened another way. It was saying, friend, you are a sinner. What you did proves you're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need salvation. You see, here's the deal. You can't be good for people if you, how do I say this? I want to say this correctly. You can't be good, oh, here's how I want to say it. You can't be good to people if you're not good for them. And you're not going to be good for people if you're weak. You're going to give in to them when you shouldn't. And you're going to base your actions and words to them on whether their feelings are hurt or not. And if their feelings start to get hurt, you will start, stop saying what is best. And you will melt down. Remember this. God is love, but love is not God. You're, I, even with your mask on, I can tell you're puzzled by that. Here's what I mean. This is very pertinent for our, di- our time. We, all, we do want to bring people to love. That, that is absolutely our first calling. And, and, and it's, 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 it's our calling forever. No matter how you respond to me, I want to bring you to love. But we have some people today that don't realize that our calling as Christians, our calling as God's people, our great, the great commission we were given is not just to bring people to love. And so I don't want you to think I'm going to go out of here today and all I do is uh, the, 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 the fulfilling of my calling is just to bring people to love. If that's all they will let you do, take it, accept it, don't push it. But your calling and what, what you were filled with the Holy Spirit for was to reconcile men, women, boys, and girls to God. You have been called to reconcile people to God, not just bring them to your love now, if they won't reconcile to your God, you don't withdraw your love. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. You don't withdraw your love if they will not reconcile to God. But that world that's on fire out there today, is not the flames of that fire are not going to be put out just by your compassion. They're going to be put out by the power of a living Christ who died on the cross and saves us and, and, and solves the sin problem in our life. Uh, former tight end Patriots, Ben Watson. His name, I, I, if I said Patriots tight end, his name would come to me. Ben Watson said, in a previous time of racial um, upheaval, he said, We don't have a, a skin problem, we have a sin problem. And he is correct. He is correct. Now, I, I won't go around saying that everywhere. I'll say it to you, my congregation, and to those that are watching, that are probably the congregation, but I'm going to be careful where I say that because some people are going to misunderstand me. Some people are going to say, well, you don't think there's a racial problem. I I don't mean that. But the deep-rooted problem that must be solved in humanity is that we are sinners who need to be saved by grace. good means kind good means strong good means beauty if i write a song you like the lyrics you like the tune you you uh declare it good you say that's a good song what you mean is you felt the lyrics were beautiful you felt the the the, the melody was beautiful people intent on good are beauty producers they produce beautiful food for people to eat beautiful quotes Beautiful music, beautiful art. Good people make their homes beautiful so they can serve others. I was uh, complaining to myself, maybe to God too, about being the owner of an in-ground pool a couple days ago. (laughs) Every year, it's my nemesis. Joe, you got a pool. You know what I'm talking... Isn't there something wrong every year? <laughs> I, I, I just want to stop right now and have pool counseling. For me. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, and uh, I was dealing with some issues a couple of days ago, and I'm complaining that I have to spend my time doing this. And, and not that, you know, the thing in my life, everybody around me works harder than I do, so I can never complain about working too hard because everybody works so hard in my life. But you know what, I thought for a second, I said, you know what, I'll bet Ellie might learn to swim in my pool this year. Jay and Mary might come over and bring her to, they live down the road, so they'll they'll be bringing her to swim. All of a sudden I thought, you know, I want to finish this pool. I got a reason now. And when you care about people, you want to make things nice for them. Amen? Yeah. And the guy said amen does it every year. Because <laughs> he's, he's bugging me to death over that awning that I ordered for him that's not coming in. And I can't figure out why it's coming. Because he wants to put that thing up so you all can go over there and swim in his pool. <laughs> Are you producing any beauty for anybody? It, and you'll even produce some for yourself too, by the way. All right? Now, let, let's finish this up. The meaning of hot coals on their head. You've, you've heard that explained as I'm sure if you've been around church, you've heard that. You've heard preachers say that people would carry baskets of hot coals on their head and they would carry it to their house. I don't know where they supposedly got these hot coals. And Joanne's laughing because she knows it's not true. Right. She's going, that's ridiculous. Uh, and, and if you love somebody, you would give them some of your hot coals, and I did all kinds of research this week on that passage, and every all the researchers I said said that never happened. <laughs> People did not carry hot coals around on their heads <laughs> in the biblical times. Uh, so that leaves us with a quandary, what in the heck is Paul's talking about? Heaping hot coals on their head. Well, let's I think we should interpret it literally that being radically kind will make people uncomfortable. Because you are saying to them, here's the standard and they will either hate you or love you. They will either embrace you or reject you. The radical nature of goodness reveals the character of God. It reveals the presence of God. It releases the presence of God. The revealed character and presence of God confronts people with their sinfulness. At the same time, it invites them to receive the free gift of salvation. Les Miserables. It's a perfect illustration for this. And that's another person I consulted was Tom Keller to see what he said about it, and he referred me to Les Miserables. And I believe if I pronounce it right, it's Javert was the antagonist in that story, right? Javert was the antagonist, and uh, Jean Valjean or Jean Valjean forgives him, right? Remember that he forgives him, and that forgiveness to Javert was unbearable. He could not handle that forgiveness because Jean Valjean was changing all the rules. He was changing all the rules rules because Javert had operated under a law, an order, pay for your sins. I'm going to make you pay for your sins. I'm going to chase you down. and I'm going to hurt you. And all of a sudden, Valjean changes the rules and says, I forgive you. And we see that scene where Javert throws himself, commits suicide, and throws himself into the same river rather than receive the kindness of forgiveness. He heaped coals of fire on his head. So, what does that mean for you and me? Here's what it means. I want to forgive, serve. I want to return blessing for cursing. I want to wash the betrayer's feet. I want to love the hater, stand up for the broken, treat everyone so like a neighbor the ways Jesus did, that every red, yellow, black, white, boy, girl, man, woman that knows me will know what Jesus is like. And they will either bow at his feet and call him Lord or they will have to reject him and crucify him again. I want to live in such radical kindness that it brings the people in my life to that wonderful choice of following Jesus or not. Because that's the purpose of my life. To represent the Lord Jesus Christ and bring the greatest love and the greatest mercy and the greatest racial racial reconciliation That ever existed, ever existed on the planet. Nobody ever addressed the issue of all peoples being equal as much as Jesus did when he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, not just the sins he could have been the king of the Jews. He could have been the king of the nation easily. He could have lived in luxury, but he said, no, I must die for the sins of all people everywhere in the, on the planet. That is the will of God. Let me close. I started with Tony. I'm going to end with Tony Dungy. Yesterday, he tweeted this. This morning, I woke up discouraged with what is going on in our country. But one of my Bible study brothers encouraged me with this scripture. So let's get not. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't give up.
0: That's good stuff. I'm going to ask us to stand across this room, and I want to pray for you. You know, I think I got to hear this sermon twice today, um, and I think during the second time hearing it through i think the thing that just blaring in my mind is god you got to humble us to really live this out we got to first start with coming before god and being humbled before him yeah. and not only once we're humble before god we can be humble before other people and my perspective where i come from what i experienced it, that, that gets laid to the side, and I can say, God, I want to be your vessel, as we sang. I want to be a tool that you can use to serve others. I don't just have to get my point across and say my perspective and what I think is going to work. We are, I really believe, and the Bible teaches us that we are living under the curse of sin in our country and across the world. And that the devil has plans for us to, not only for him to steal, kill, and destroy, but for him to use us to steal from each other, kill each other, destroy each other for all sorts of reasons. And as, as my dad, Tony Dungy said, he's laughing at us when we're doing that. But if we would come before God and get humble, come before each other and get humble, get humble when you post on Facebook, get humble when you walk into the grocery store, be humble when you watch the news. They don't know everything, you don't know everything, but you know who does? The king of kings who sits on the throne. Jesus, the ultimate servant who came to this earth and gave himself for us. And that is our calling, give yourself. Give yourself up, take up his cross and follow him. God, we wanna be servants on this earth. You didn't come to tell everyone you were right. You came to serve. Your identity as king is unchanging, and our identity as your kids is unchanging. Nobody can change that. And so I pray, God, there would be just a strength that would rise up in us, not not an ugly entitlement, but a holy entitlement that we're entitled to serve, we're entitled to give. We're entitled to be kind because you paid the price for us. We don't have to prove anything. We don't have to claim any rights. We can, we can lay it all down. We can lay our lives down and serve and be kind and ask good questions and look people in the eye. And when we go in the store, we can let somebody else take the last roll of toilet paper and just trust you that you'll provide We can do those things, the simple acts of kindness that are rooted in love. And we can draw people to you and draw people to salvation. God, I lift up the people in this room that have already accepted you as their Savior. They're already walking with you, Lord. I pray that you would just fill them with a a refreshed spirit of joy and kindness that you'll give them a clarity, Lord, that it's people in this room that are, feel just overwhelmed by confusion, overwhelmed by fear. Calm us, quiet us, quiet us before you in your presence and remind us that you know you saw all of this before it happened. And, and not only do you know what's happening on the broad scale, you know how you want to use each and every one of us as individuals. You have a plan. God, I pray we would wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I be kind today? How can I spread your love today? How can I share the gospel today in what I have in front of me, in what I face, in the people I meet? And I want to pray for a second group of people here today who have not accepted you, Lord. They haven't made you the Lord of their life, and I pray, God, that we as as your church would show them who you are. God, as they're being drawn by your kindness to repentance, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to be there for those people, God. I pray, Lord, that they would trust you and they would look to your word to see that you are trustworthy. You have proven yourself in our lives time and time again. In Jesus' name, we thank you that you are on the throne. In Jesus' name, amen.